Welcome to the last Abbey Talks podcast of 2015. Another year goes by so fast and you can't help but look back. Here's one from the archives that deserves a fresh airing. It goes back a couple of years and then back again even further to 1930s Cork in a Frank O'Connor story entitled Christmas Morning. It's a poignant and comic short story softened and heartened by actors Aileen Mydon and Damien Carney with music by the wonderful Kieran McAvoy. And as my fondness for misuse of lyrics goes unpunished for another year, let's listen to my retro introduction. And catch me if you can. I'm going back. Enjoy this podcast. Now, welcome, welcome all of you familiar faces to the last Abbey Talk of 2013. I'm glad to see the back of 13 and I'm um, welcoming the even number of 14. So now, Christmas time, Christmas time, mistletoe and wine, children singing Christian rhyme, logs in the fire, gifts on the tree, the time to rejoice in the good that we bring. Now, maybe that's what it is like in Cliff Richard's house, but it's not like that in my house, uh, and not in Frank O'Connor's house, which is a story that we're going to hear tonight, read by Aileen Mydon, Damien Carney, and accompanied by Kieran McAvoy. But Christmas is all about tradition, all about conspiracy. It's a time for coming together and singing together. You can rarely sing when you are unhappy, and there's something special that happens when we all sing together. So please join in on what you know, and welcome A Song at Twilight. Once in the dear dead days beyond recall, when on the world the mist began to fall,
kitchen with two little bedrooms off it and the kitchen door opened onto the street. There were only the four of us, my parents, my brother Sonny and myself. I suppose at the time I'm speaking of Sonny was six or seven and I was two years older. I never really liked that kid. <laughs> he was the mother's pet, a proper little mother's darling, always racing after her to tell her what mischief I'd been up to. I really believe that it was in spite of me that it was so smart at his books. In a queer sort of way, he seemed to know that that was what the mother valued most. And you might say he spelled his way into her favour. Mummy, will I call Larry in for his T-E-A? <laughs> Mummy, the K-E-T-L is boiling. And of course, if he made a mistake, the mother would correct him and the next time he'd have it right and get stuffed up with conceit. Mummy, aren't I a good speller? We could all be good spellers if we went on like that. Mind you, it wasn't that I was stupid or anything of the kind, but somehow I was restless and I could never fix my mind on the one thing for long. I'd do the lessons for the year before or the lessons for the year afterwards. Anything but the ones I should be doing. I declare to goodness, Larry. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, with your baby brother better than you at reading. I'll do it when I come back. The dear knows what'll become of you. If you'd only mind your lessons, you might be something worthwhile. An engineer or a clerk. Tis all right, Mummy. I'll be a clerk. I'm going to be a soldier. Oh, God help us. I'm afraid that's all you'll ever be fit for. <laughs> Sometimes I used to think she was just a shade simple, as if a fellow could be anything better than a soldier.
And then it began to draw onto Christmas, with the days getting shorter and coming onto dusk, the crowds getting bigger in the streets, and I began to think of all the things I might get from Santa Claus. <coughs> the Dempseys said there was no Santa Claus, and it was only what your mother and father gave you. But the Dempseys were a rough class of children, and you wouldn't expect Santa Claus to come to them anyway. <laughs> I was scouting around for whatever information I could pick up about it from my mother. I wasn't much good at writing, but it struck me that if a letter would do any good, I wouldn't mind having a shot at one. Ah, I don't know will he come at all this year. He's enough to be looking after good little boys that mind their lessons without bothering about the others. He only comes to good spellers, Mummy. Isn't that right? He comes to any little child that does his best, whether they're good at spelling or not. Well, from then on, I tried to do my best. God knows I tried. It was hardly my fault if my teacher, Flogger Dolly, gave us sums we couldn't do within four days of the holidays, and I had to play hooky with Peter Dempsey. It wasn't for the pleasure of it. December is no month to play hooky. The only mistake we made was imagining that we could keep it up until the holidays without being noticed. Of course, Flogger Dolly noticed and sent me home to see, and sent home to see what was keeping me. When I came home the third day, my mother gave me a look she had never given me before. When I tried to explain to her, she only said, You have no word. It wasn't the fact that I'd been playing hooky so much as all the lies I'd told her. For two days, she didn't open her mouth to me, and still I couldn't see what attraction schooling had for her or why she wouldn't let me grow up like anybody else. That evening, Sonny stood at the front door with his hands in his trouser pockets, shouting to all the other kids so that he could be heard all over the road. Larry isn't allowed to go out. He played hockey with Peter Dempsey. <laughs> Me mother isn't talking to him. And at night, when we were in bed, he kept at me. Santa Claus isn't bringing you anything this year. He is. No. Why isn't he? Because you played hockey with Dempsey's. I wouldn't play hockey with Dempsey, fellas. They're no class. They had the bobbies up at their house. And how would Santa Claus know that I played hockey with Dempsey? He'd know. Mummy would tell him. And how would Mummy tell him and he up at the North Pole? <laughs> Poor Ireland, she's rearing them still. Tis easily seen that you're only a baby. I'm not a baby! And I can spell better than you. And Santa Claus won't bring you anything. You'll see whether he will or not, said I, letting on to be quite confident about it all. But in my own heart, I wasn't confident at all. You could never tell what powers those superhuman chaps would have of knowing what you were up to, and I had a bad conscience about skipping school. I had never seen the mother like that before. I decided there was really only one thing for me to do, and that was to see Santa Claus and have a talk with him myself. Being a man, he'd probably understand that a fellow wouldn't want to spend his whole life over old books, as the mother wanted me to. I was a good-looking kid, and when I liked, I had, a, I had a way with me. I had only to smile nicely at one old gent on the mall to get a penny off him, and I felt sure if I could only get Santa Claus alone, I could explain it all to his satisfaction and maybe get round him to give me something worthwhile. 
like a model railway. <laughs> I started practicing, staying awake at night, counting 500 and then 1,000, and trying to hear first 11 and then midnight from the clock tower in Shandon. I felt sure that Santa Claus would appear by midnight on Christmas Eve, seeing that he'd be coming from the north and would have the whole of the south side of the town to do before morning. <laughs> In some ways, I was quite an enterprising and far-sighted kid. The only trouble was the things I was enterprising about. I was so wrapped up in those plans of mine that I never noticed what a hard time my mother was having of it. Sonny, Sonny and I used to go downtown with her. And while she was in the grocery shop, we stood outside the toy shop in the North Main Street, arguing about what we'd like for Christmas. It was Christmas Eve in the drunk time, an old said to me, won't see another one, and then they sang a song, the red old mountain dew, I turned my face away, and dreamed about you, gone on a lucky of New York City and the band finished playing they yelled out for more Sinatra was swinging all the drunks there were singing we kissed on the corner and danced through the night and the boys from the NYP with me, babe. I put them with my own. 
At noon the day before Christmas, me mother went downtown, but she didn't take us with her. She came back with several parcels, and in one of them was the big red Christmas candle. We waited for my father to come home for his tea, but he didn't. So we had our own slice of cake for each of us, and then my mother put Sonny on the kitchen chair with the holy water <laughs> stoop before the window by him so that he could sprinkle the candle. And after that, he lit it, and she said, The light of heaven to our souls. I could see she was upset because my father wasn't there. When Sonny and I hung up our stockings at either side of the bed in our room and got into bed, he was still out. Then began the hardest couple of hours I ever put in. I don't think I was ever so sleepy, but I knew if I went to sleep, my chances were done. So I kept myself awake by making speeches to say to Santa when he came. The speeches were different according to the sort of chap he turned out to be. When I had said them all, I nudged Sonny and tried to get him to wake up and keep me company. But he lay like the dead and neither moved nor opened his eyes. I knew by the light under the kitchen door that my mother hadn't gone to bed. Eleven struck from Shandon, and shortly afterwards I heard the latch of the front door raised very softly. But it was, more, it was only my father coming home. <coughs> oh my goodness, is it as late as that? <laughs> if I knew that, I'd have strolled up to the North Chapel for midnight mass. Aww. I'd like to hear the Adesti again. That's a hymn I'm very fond of. <coughs> the most touching hymn. Adeste fidelis solus domus <laughs> My father was very fond of Latin hymns, particularly when he had a drop in, but he could never get the words right. He just made it up as he went along. And for some reason, which I could never understand, drove my mother into a fury. My father gave a low, pleased laugh. And then I heard him strike a match to light his pipe, and for a couple of minutes he puffed it noisily, and then the light under the door dimmed and went out. From the dark kitchen, I suddenly heard his voice sing. Adeste fidelis, leti triumphantes, venite, venite in sort of way, it lulled me to sleep as if I were listening to choirs of angels singing. Oh, come all ye
I woke coming onto dawn with the feeling that something shocking had happened. The whole house was still, and our little room, looking out onto the foot and a half of backyard, was pitch dark. It was only when you looked at the tiny square of window that you could see that all the purple was gone out of the sky. I jumped out of bed and felt my stocking. And I knew at once that Santa Claus had come while I was asleep. And I knew at once that the worst had happened. <laughs> Santa Claus had come while I was asleep and had gone away with an altogether false impression of me. <laughs> because all he had left me was a book, like a reading book, <laughs> folded up, a pen and pencil, and a tuppenny bag of sweets. For a while, I was too stunned by the catastrophe to be able to think of anything else. <laughs> then I began to wonder what that foxy boy, Sonny, had got. <laughs> I went to his side of the bed and examined his stocking. For all his spelling and sucking up, Sonny hadn't done much better, because apart from a bag of sweets, about the same size as my own, all Santa had left him was a gun, one that fired a cork, and you could get it in any toy shop for sixpence. All the same, it was a gun. And a gun was better than any old book any day of the week. Then I got the inspiration. <laughs> As it seemed to me direct from heaven. Suppose I took the gun and gave Sonny the book. He was fond of spelling. And a studious child like him could learn a lot of spelling from a book like that. Sonny hadn't even seen Santa any more than I had. And what he wouldn't know wouldn't trouble him. I wasn't doing the least harm to anyone. In fact, I was doing him a genuine good turn. Yeah, yeah. If yeah, only yeah. he knew it. <laughs> so I put the book, pen and pencil into Sonny's stocking and the gun into my own, and then I got back into bed and fell asleep. As I say, in those days, I had quite a lot of initiative. It was Sonny who waked me, shaking me like mad to tell me that Santa Claus has come! And look what he brought you, a gun! I let on to be very surprised <laughs> and rather disappointed. And I made him show me the book and told him it was much better than what Santa had brought me, as I knew that child was prepared to believe anything. And within a few minutes, he wanted to rush in to the mother and show her what he'd got. That was my bad moment. <laughs> After the way that she carried on the previous time, I didn't like telling her the lie, though I had the satisfaction of knowing that the only person who could contradict me was at this particular moment somewhere by the North Pole. <laughs> that thought gave me confidence, and Sonny and myself stormed into the bedroom and wakened my father and mother, shouting at the top of our voices, Oh, oh look, look, look what Santa brought! Us. My mother opened her eyes and smiled, and then, as she saw the gun in my hand, her face changed suddenly. It was just as it had been the day I came home from playing hooky when she said, You have no word. Larry, where did you get that? Santa Claus left it in my stocking, Mother. You stole it from that poor child's stocking while he was asleep, Larry. Larry, how could you be so mean? Wished, wished. Wished, said my father testily, tis Christmas morning. Ah, tis easy it comes to you. 
Do you think I want my son to grow up a thief and a liar? Ah, what thief, woman? Can't you let the child alone? I looked at my mother and saw that horror still in her eyes. And at that moment, I understood everything. And I burst into tears, threw the popgun on the floor by the bed, and rushed out the front door. It was before a soul on the road was awake. I ran up the lane behind the house into the field and threw myself on my face and my hands into the wet grass as the sun was rising. In some queer way, I understood all the things that had been hidden from me before. I knew there was no Santa Claus flying over the rooftops with his reindeer and his red coat. There was only my mother trying to scrape together a few pence from the housekeeping money that my father gave her. I knew that he was mean and common and drunkard and that she had been relying on me to study and to rescue her from the misery which threatened to engulf her. And I knew from the horror in her eyes that the fear, which was that like him, I was turning out a liar, a thief, and a drunkard. After that morning, I think my childhood was at an end. Yes. Yeah.
podcast has been made possible with the kind permission of literary agents Peters, Fraser and Dunlop. Christmas Morning Text is copyright of Frank O'Connor.